This episode is brought to you by the Deeper Christian Life Network. The Deeper Christian Life Network is an online network designed for mentoring and connection among those who want to deepen their spiritual walk. The network includes exclusive masterclasses that you can take at your own pace and much more. The masterclasses are conference messages based on themes and or letters in the New Testament that cannot be accessed anywhere else. The network opens up for registration periodically throughout the year. Go to thedeeperchristianlife.com and check out samples and join the waitlist if you're interested. Good evening. If you have a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. I have really enjoyed my time here so far and love the worship team and your songs. Very gifted and some of the songs are new to me so I, I always appreciate hearing new songs I always think I've heard every song but I find that that's not the case I talked to you this morning about Jesus Christ and I preached a message that I guess you can put under the, the heading Christ in you tonight I want to take the message I brought this morning and I kind of want to turn the pyramid upside down and instead of talking about Christ in you I want to talk about you in Christ so if you would look with me at Colossians chapter 1 and let's start here at verse 21 this is a passage that I had read this morning but we're going to look at it again Colossians 1.21 And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach if you continue in the faith. Notice the words, He did this. He reconciled you to present you holy and blameless and without reproach or without accusation in the sight of God. And I said that the universe that God created, the good creation that God had spoken into existence, had turned into an enemy. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, penetrated the universe to reconcile it back to his Father and back to himself. And he did it through the means of a wooden cross on a hill where holy blood was shed. And the point here is that because of that hill, because of that blood, and because of that cross, you, sisters and brothers, right now, in the mind and in the eyesight of God, which is the only reality that matters, you are holy, blameless, and without accusation. 
Why? Because you are in Christ. And over 200 times, Paul of Tarsus uses this phrase, these two words, in Christ, throughout his letters. And I want to talk to you about the absolute significance of that. You see, we have a problem today, and it is my judgment, it is my observation, that most Christians, most of God's people, live with a hangover of guilt. Most Christians today, in my personal judgment, live life with a low-grade headache of condemnation. Now, if you survey all of God's people and you ask them, does God love you? The answer is invariably going to be yes. But if you peel back the layers of the onion of one's heart, deep down inside, many of us really doubt that. And in our subconscious mind, here is how we view God. God is holy. I am not. Therefore, I must try harder. And this bleeds over into the sermons we hear because whatever we hear, whatever message we hear, we as God's people, so many of us, are conditioned to filter anything we hear through this grid. That the message is juiced down to this. God is holy. I'm not. I need to try harder. Or God's holy. You're not. Try harder. And therefore, there is a cloud between us and the Lord. I mean, this even goes on. We can worship the Lord. We can sing about Him. We can say, I love you. You love me. But when we're alone in the darkness, or especially if we did something that we know isn't right, or we didn't do something that we know we should have, then we begin to see the Lord as the great soup Nazi in the sky. If you've seen Seinfeld, you understand what I'm saying. No soup for you. And we live with a sense of guilt and condemnation and inferiority, and we're not good enough, and does God really love us? And if the Holy Spirit is merciful to me tonight and to you, then I pray that this day would mark a brand new chapter in your life where you can say, when you walk out of here, I have been set free from guilt, condemnation, shame, and I know that my Lord loves me. And guess what? That, dear saints, is the secret of having love awakened in your heart for Him. That comes naturally, without effort, without strain, without sweat, without struggle. It's the natural response. John said, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. May the Holy Spirit give us a revelation of that. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. You should be in Colossians still. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. 
for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now listen to these next words. And in him, in Christ, you Christians have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. You, dear sister, dear brother, have been made complete. Not gonna be. Not someday, hopefully. Not I'm getting there. No, in the eyesight of God, which is the only reality, which is the real reality, you have been made complete. Other translations put it a little bit differently. They say you have been brought to fullness. Lacking nothing. In Christ. You have been placed in Christ. You know when you were placed in Christ? From the foundation of the world. Before you even uttered your first breath. And who did it? God the Father did it. And it is the most glorious thing that you can know. Perhaps the only competitor to that is that Christ is in you. Now, I want to I tell you a story from the Gospels that I think will put this in a more practical light to blow it up real big for you so you could really see it. You know, Jesus Christ, we're told in Hebrews, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how the Lord conducted Himself, how He saw things, how He reacted in the first century... Well, that's the same Lord, and He hadn't changed. I introduce you to Exhibit A, and that is a man named Peter, whom Jesus Christ called to be one of His disciples and apostles. I want you to get a good look at Peter. I want you to consider Peter's life while he was with Jesus for those three and a half years. I want to introduce you to a failure. A first class, grade A, USDA certified failure in the Christian life. And I will just give you some examples. There are more. Peter with the other disciples are in a boat. And suddenly they see a creature walking on the water. And they realize it's Jesus because he says, Be not afraid, it is I. An impulsive Peter yells out, Lord, if it's really you, call me. And Jesus says, come. And we have the first human being, other than Jesus Christ, who walks on water. And it's Peter, bless his heart. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking. And he is walking on water. But then his eyes shift and he sees the waves and the turbulence. And he loses sight of Christ and he begins to sink hard and fast. And Jesus reaches out his hand after Peter says, Lord, save me. He catches him, he brings him up, and then Jesus gives him a gentle rebuke. Why did you doubt? Have you ever doubted the Lord? I have. Not just once. But that's not all. Jesus is with his disciples and he begins to unravel his fate. And he says there's going to come a day where the chief priests and the elders are going to take me. And they're going to put me to death. And Peter grabs Jesus aside and he says, 
that's not going to happen. Don't say that. Never will that happen to you. And Jesus Christ looks straight at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not speaking the words of God. You're speaking the words of a man who is interested in self-preservation. You are a stumbling block to me. Whoa. Have you ever thought the thoughts of a human being rather than the thoughts of God? I have. But that's not all. Peter and two other disciples are given the privilege to come up to a hill with Jesus to see something that was remarkable. Peter, James, and John witnessed it. It was Jesus Christ being transfigured in blazing light and glory. And two other people appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. And impetuous Peter, overzealous Peter, blurts out, Lord, this is wonderful that we're here. Let us build three shrines for each of you. And as he's speaking, a voice from heaven interrupts Peter and says, quite loudly, this is my beloved son, hear him, and they all fall to the ground. Peter is interrupted by the Lord himself from heaven. He's not really in tune with what's happening. (laughs) But that's not all. It gets worse. Jesus has a very frank and open talk with the disciples and he says, there's going to come a day pretty soon where you all are going to forsake me. For when the shepherd is struck, the sheep scatter. And impetuous, rash Peter blurts out and says, Lord, even if all of these other guys leave you, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're saying. Not only will you forsake me, but you will disown me. Lord, I will not disown you. I will die with you. You're going to hear a sound of a creature crow. And before that happens, you will have disowned me not once, not twice, but three times. Then he brings Peter and two other disciples to the garden. It is the blackest, darkest, most difficult struggle that Jesus will have before the cross. It's Gethsemane, where he sweats great drops of blood. And he says, tarry with me. Pray with me. I don't want to do this alone. I want you to stand with me. And they fall asleep. And Peter is sleeping when he should be awake, supporting his Lord. And then when the Roman soldiers come into the garden and they take Jesus, old Peter pulls his sword out and cuts the ear off one of the Roman soldiers from off his head. And Jesus not only heals the man's ear, but he gives a rebuke, a stern rebuke to Peter. Peter, you don't understand. Have you not been with me? Have you not known me? This is not what we do. This is not who I am. 
And then the worst thing of all. And saints, I don't care what you have done in your life. I don't care what you've done since you've been a Christian or what you've done before you were a Christian. None of us can trump this. Jesus is taken. And the other disciples have checked out. The male disciples, that is. They've checked out. Peter is trying to make good on his promise. He's not going to forsake the Lord. So he follows him. He's watching. Tracking his movements, the Lord's movements as he's being taken. And a slave girl spots Peter and she says, Aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter very quickly forgets. Forgets everything. And in that moment of self-preservation, he denies it. It happens again with another slave girl and he denies it. And then a third time, it happens again. And this time, Peter is so in the flesh that he's cussing and swearing. I don't know that man. I have no idea who he is. Never seen him before. And at that moment, he hears the rooster. He remembers the words of Jesus. And then he catches the gaze of Jesus himself. The look that melted Peter. The face that Stephen saw. The heart that wept with Mary. Can alone from idols draw. And Peter is condemned. For not only did he forsake his Lord, he denied him. And not only did he deny him once, he denied him three times. And he didn't deny him in front of political leaders. And he didn't deny him in front of a tribune of religious leaders. He denied him in front of a slave girl. And here, the Lord is taken out. This man whom Peter had followed had bowed his life and allegiance to, he's taken out and crucified. Imagine the condemnation. Peter, one of the apostles. Peter, one of the disciples, one of the hand-picked men that Jesus called to be with him and carry on his work. You're not even fit to be a Christian, to bear the name Christian. unimaginable guilt unimaginable condemnation this has been a pattern of failure after failure after failure until it came to a high fever pitch and he betrayed and denied his own Lord well I want you to turn to Mark 16 dear Christian I have a message for you that I hope you will never forget This is a picture of what it means to be in Christ. In the mind of God, He was in Christ from the foundation of the world. Mark 16, I'm going to read verse 1. Mark 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint Him, meaning the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, 
Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. This is an angel, in case you didn't know. A messenger of God. And the angel said, verse 6, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Now verse 7, But go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him. Go tell his disciples and he singles out Peter. I want Peter to know that I'm alive. He didn't say go tell his disciples in John. He didn't say go tell his disciples in James. He didn't say go tell his disciples in Thomas. He said go tell his disciples and tell Peter. I want Peter to know that I'm alive. And sisters and brothers, there is not one word of condemnation. There is not one word of shame. There is not one word of guilt. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, wanted Peter especially to know that Jesus, the one whom he denied three times, is alive. And we find the story and we read that the first eyes to see the resurrected Christ were the eyes of a woman. It was Mary Magdalene. But do you know who the second eyes were that met the risen Christ? It was the eyes of Peter. He was the first man to see Christ. God the Father had made it so that Peter, this failure, Peter, this man who had messed up over and over and over again, even denying Jesus, God the Father made it so that he was the first witness, the male witness of the risen Christ. And then in John 21, Jesus shows up in his resurrected state, and he calls the disciples, including Peter, and he's made some fish. And he sits down with them. And Jesus said, Now, Peter, I got some things to say to you. Remember what you did on the day that I was taken? No, he didn't say that. There wasn't one word about it. Why? It was washed away by the blood of Christ. And I will remember their sins no more. And I will move them as far as the east is from the west. And this is the new covenant in my blood. No, he does this. He turns to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word agape which is the highest kind of love. It is the selfless, utter devotion, utter allegiance to another person. In this case, Jesus. Do you love me? Do I have all of your heart? And Peter responds and he says, Well, Lord, you know that I... You know that I'm affectionate towards you. You, you know that I'm your friend. You, you know that I care about you. He used the word phileo. And it means a caring affection. 
as friends would have. Peter couldn't quite meet the bar of agape. And he's honest and he's, he's probably still living under condemnation. He's probably still feeling guilty. I mean, this just happened three days ago. Well, actually it happened uh, more than that, but it wasn't that long ago that he denied his Lord. Lord, you know that I, that I care about you. And Jesus repeats it again. Peter, do you love me? Agape. I'll give you a second chance here. And Peter, he's just honest. Boy, when our hearts are condemned, it dilutes the love we have for Jesus. For he, for she who is forgiven much, loves much. But he or she who does not understand or has received my forgiveness does not love much. He says, Lord, I know, <laughs> I know you want me to say that I love you, I agape you, but I, I have to be honest, I, I care about you. He uses phileo again. And then Jesus does something that gives us an insight into his character. He lowers the bar just where Peter is and he says, Okay, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word phileo. Do you care about me? Are you affectionate toward me? And Peter says, Yes, you know I do. And then Jesus Christ does what most mortals could never imagine. He recommissions Peter and he says, Feed my sheep. Go and feed my sheep and share my ministry of shepherd. I am the chief shepherd and I want you to shepherd with me. I am commissioning you to feed my people. You who denied me three times. You who kept on failing. You who I had to rebuke over and over again. You who are disqualified to be an apostle in the minds of mortals. I want you to be my apostle. I have forgiven you. I have forgotten you are one of my own wow this is the last guy who should be doing the Lord's work think about it and remember he denied him three times it's no accident that Jesus asked him do you love me three times Peter I'm, I'm not going to remember the denials I just want you to know but I love you and I know that you love me. And I will take that lower love that you have for me. Feed my sheep. And it is Peter, this failure of a Christian, this failure of a disciple, sisters and brothers, it is Peter who is given the keys of the kingdom. And on the day of Pentecost, it is Peter who stands up and preaches the gospel for the first time to a group of thousands of Jews and opens the door of the kingdom of God and 3,000 come in. It was Peter who did that. This failure and Jesus Christ sent him to do that. Praise the Lord. Amazing. Amazing grace. And Peter was the one who also opened up the door to the Gentiles and preached the gospel to Cornelius in his house. And for the first time, the Gentiles came into the kingdom of God. It was Peter. Peter, saints, became the greatest of all the apostles. The greatest failure became the greatest disciple among men.
And he still had his flaws. Read the book of Galatians. He still had his flaws. Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face. But that didn't change who he was in Christ. That didn't change who he was in the Lord. That didn't change how God used that man. Now, who is Peter? Sisters and brothers, Peter is you. And he's me. And the next time you start feeling that headache of guilt, the next time you you start feeling that hangover of condemnation, next time you start doubting the Lord's love for you, I have two words for you. Remember Peter. Remember Peter. There's a story once of a, a young man who enrolled to a Bible school and he, um, he was all excited to go. He felt called to the Lord's work. He wanted to go and be trained. And then he pulled a stunt. He did something really bad. Not as bad as what Peter did, but bad. And he felt really bad about it. And he wrote to the school the staff and he I guess it was found out what happened so he couldn't hide it and he wrote a letter and he said, look, I'm, I really still want to come but I know that I'm disqualified. I know that I screwed up. I, I know that, that I messed up. I, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. And the president of the school wrote him a letter back. Came in an envelope. Young man opens the letter. And it starts out, Dear John, And then those two words. Remember, Peter, I want you to come to the school. Praise the Lord. You're going to forget this message. And you're going to start thinking again in the future, especially if you turn on the Christian radio or television. God's holy. I'm not try harder I want you to remind one another that you are in Christ every time Paul wrote a letter to the churches and they were a mess I mean Corinth everything you can think of that's unchristian they were doing it and more Thessalonica Philippi all the churches had major problems you know how he starts out the letters to my brothers and sisters who are pitiful and screwing up and God is angry with you and I I am so mad at you I can't even see straight. No. He starts all the letters out this way. To the holy ones in Christ. What? Don't you know what they're doing, Paul? To the holy ones in Christ. And then he reminds them of who they really are. Sisters and brothers, the Christian life, listen to me, the Christian life is becoming who you already are. I'm going to run that by again. The Christian life is becoming who you already are. Who are you? If you can get a sense of your identity in Christ, if you can get a sense of what Jesus Christ has done for you and how it's made the Father look at you, it would blow your circuitry.
and you would never feel guilty again. Yes, you may have conviction of the Spirit where He puts His finger on something and says, deal with this. But it's redemptive, and there's peace, and there's love behind it, and it's positive. It's not the hammer of God waiting to drop on your head because He's angry at you. That's not where you're at. You're in Christ. And so I'm going to close this message by telling you exactly who you are. In Christ, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 In Christ, you are saved. Saved from wrath. 2 Timothy 2.10 In Christ, you are God's masterpiece. Created for good works. Ephesians 2.10 In Christ you are the child of a living God. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. Galatians 3.26-27 In Christ you have been reconciled to God the Father. Ephesians 2.13 In Christ there is no condemnation for you. Romans 8.1 In Christ you are free. Galatians 2.4 In Christ you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 In Christ you're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Ephesians 2.6-7 In Christ you are part of His very body, bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh. Romans 12.5 In Christ you are righteous, holy, and without blame. You can't even be indicted. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And there is that great anthem at the end of Romans 8. But I suggest to you, if you live in guilt and condemnation, and it's a struggle for you as it is for most Christians, you might want to read the very end of Romans 8 verse 28 and on. Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing visible, nothing invisible, nothing on this earth, nothing under the earth, nothing above the earth. Not even you can separate yourself from the love of Christ. Saints, the Christian life is becoming who you already are. This is why Paul says in Ephesians to the Christians there, he says, You are a light in the Lord. That's who you are. Get behind the eyes of God. See yourself as He sees you and receive it and accept it and embrace it and know it and repeat it and thank God for it. You are light. Then He says, now because you're light, walk as children of light. Why do people sin? Why do people fail? Often it's because We haven't come to terms with the love of God. And we doubt it. For Paul says the love of God compels us. Why do we sin? Because we don't really know who we are. We don't believe it. And we act according to a nature that is not really us. You know, one minister said, Don't believe everything you think. Believe what God has said. And there will come a day, and I hope to God that maybe it happened in this room to some of you, where the lights go on and the curtains pull back and you say, Oh my goodness, He really does love me this much. He really has accepted me. He really has received me. I 
have no reason to be guilty. One of the great arguments of the book of Hebrews is that the blood of lambs and goats could never remove the guilt that people had in the Old Testament, the consciousness of sin, the feeling that they're sinners, the remembrance of their sins, the deep regret, the deep shame. But he says over and over again, but the blood of Christ, which is greater than the blood of bulls and goats, removes the consciousness of sins. Saints, if we simply believe it. Now, the gospel is good news. But most of us, it's not good news. I'm giving you good news tonight. The news is so good, it's hard to believe. God's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He's not saying, you need to try harder. You're not trying hard enough. No. He's saying, you're in my Son, holy and perfect and blameless. Believe it and walk in it. Praise the Lord. Sisters and brothers, remember Peter. That's a picture of how Jesus Christ feels about you. Hey guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I have created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free ebooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankviola.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff. You just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much, and God bless.